Hey, everybody. Welcome to season two of the Career Talks podcast. I'm your host, as always, Orlando Hangs. And this season, we are kicking things off with our sponsorship, Agape Career Counseling Group, where their focus is helping you discover a career you love. This company is led by Ms. Deborah Russell. She is a certified executive resume writer and a Yahoo News contributor, two-time author and speaker. So please go ahead and check them out at agapeccg.com. Again, that's agapeccg.com. Agape Career Counseling Group. Appreciate the partnership. Now let's get to the episode. Season two of the Career Talks podcast. I'm so excited that now we have ventured into season two. Consistency absolutely helps and works uh, when you got a, a, a major support team out there helping you push and go forward. So super excited to kick things off with our amazing guest for tonight. Uh, if you don't know who she is, Orlando, I think there was some type of, um, there was a cutout. The volume was a little static. I can't hear you. All right, folks, just one second. Technical difficulty, but we will be. All right, let's try it now. Here we go. Here we go, folks. Technical difficulties when you go live. But that's the fun part. We're going to push through again for folks who hopefully you heard the intro uh, with Miss Chelsea uh, C. Williams here. She is the president and founder of College Code, also international speaker, etc. Uh, Tia, thank you for letting me know. Uh, let me know if you can hear me now. You can hear me okay, right, Chelsea? All right, great. So we're going to kick things things off. Please, Chelsea, share with folks more about you uh, and your expertise. Will do. Orlando, first, thank you so much for the warm introduction and just for the opportunity to partner. I've been observing your work from afar and I've had some great friends on your show. So I'm delighted to be in your community tonight. Uh, folks, thank you so much for tuning in. As Orlando mentioned, I am the founder and CEO of College Code. Um, we are a workforce and talent development firm 
um, that basically is focused on helping organizations engage, retain, and develop talent with the lens towards diversity, equity, and inclusion. So our partners span education institutions, nonprofits, and corporations. Um, and we're just really excited. We say at College Code, we are reimagining work um, and career. Uh, I just really quickly got into this work. Uh, I started my business three years ago, right out of Wall Street. Um, I went to Spelman College, college studied economics. When you go to a liberal arts college and you study economics, there's two pathways. Either you become an economist or you go and work on Wall Street, typically. Um, I chose the Wall Street pathway and um, did an internship in HR as a sophomore. Loved it. I was one of the few people who actually wanted to work in the HR field. We do exist. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, really started my career there and have been passionate about uh, the intersection of people and work. And so, you know, that's a little bit about my backstory. Originally from Raleigh, North Carolina, okay. um, where my folks live. And now I just relocated from New York City to Atlanta in the spring. Love it, love it, love it. I'm originally from New York, yes. family in Atlanta. So I love that transition. But uh, before we dive into the topic, and this is, this is a, a, a time a timely topic of what's going on here. So I love that we're going to have this discussion. Share, how, how, how was that transition from Wall Street? What role did you have um, while you were at Wall Street? Wall Street? Um, I was in a rotational program when I started, first started in early career. This is important. I was in a rotational program. I'm a, a huge believer in that because it gives you access in your early years to different functions, to different um, specialty areas. And so I did that. And then I became an HR business partner, uh, which basically, as you can imagine, we do a little bit of everything interfacing the business and leadership team. Um, and I did that at Barclays Capital. And then I went to Lazard Asset Management, um, working really closely with the late Vernon Jordan on some diversity, equity, and inclusion in wow. across the firm. Um, yeah. So that's a little bit of, of my background. Always the people space and how we um, really think about pipeline from college into career and then getting uh, young people into their first manager and leadership roles. I love it because as you tell your story and folks learn more about you, that just lends our, an absolute amount of credibility as to what you're teaching now with your organization and what you're putting forth. But also just to note that you're not just HR, you were an executive HR, you're a VP yeah. of HR. Yeah. So those folks know that you've ascended to that to that level. Yeah. So where was that transition for you um, where you say, you know what, it's time for me to now transition into just a, uh, a brief description of you going to entrepreneurship? and wanting to now give back to the college folks. Yeah, um, it's interesting. The entrepreneur journey for me um, was when I had, I didn't have much exposure to. It was definitely something that I um, heard about during my time at Spelman. Uh, lightly, it was discussed, you know, you don't have to go the direct pathway. You can um, take this non-traditional path and be a part of like the startup society. So it was always something in the back of my head, but didn't have anyone in my family per se at the time who was really leading in that space. And so, um, you know, really it came down to seeing a need in the market and then saying, you know what, I think that there's an opportunity to be a part of, you know, changing the landscape and redefining um, culturally competent um, and inclusive workforce development and talent development. So 
I had started writing the business plan for what is now College Code on a campus recruiting trip. So when I was at uh, Lazard, I was helping to lead our uh, campus recruiting initiatives um, across the investment and marketing divisions. Loved it, great experience, great organization. Um, but you know, when you're in the weeds and you're getting close to the next generation, you hear things, you see things, <laughs> you observe things. And I noticed um, quite a bit of uh, challenges from the student experience, especially when you put the lens of gender and race um, yeah. on people. And even if they're, and here's the thing, even if they're at an Ivy League, even if they're at, you know, some, you know, the HBCUs, HBCUs that everyone goes and recruits, like even at those institutions, you still have students who are trying, are saying, I'm not necessarily sure which pathway to take. I'm not necessarily sure that this is the right firm for me. How do I assess if this is the place that is for me to start my career? And so College Code was really birthed out of the opportunity to add the DE&I lens to the development of the next generation, starting from skill, the skill and career exploration stages all the way through once they get into an organization. How do we make sure that there's a clear and consistent pathway of promotion and advancement? Because if we can't get it right from the beginning, there's no way we're going to be able to diversify leadership and board seats. It's got to start early. And so that's really kind of the thought process um, around College Code. Love it. Love it. So tonight's topic, um, which I believe uh, you brought to my attention, which I absolutely love. And again, I said it is a time, uh, timely topic of now, especially with the great resignation yeah. uh, that's going on. So fresh <laughs> strategies to develop and retain. Like I can stop right there. <laughs> the retention piece is huge. But we're talking about developing and returning early, all right, early career pros, mm -hmm. uh, hence the company College College Code to help those folks. So talk to us. Where, where did that concept come from? And you, you kind of went into a little bit there, but what did you notice along uh, your journey of developing the business to say, hey, this is this is this niche that I'm seeing and yeah. where the biggest gap is. And here's where I'm starting to see some strategies that can be implemented in organizations to retain uh these early career pros. Oh goodness, Orlando. So much here. There's so <laughs> much here. I'll try to be brief. Nope. Um, the floor is yours. Go ahead. <laughs> it's interesting. Again, we work at the intersection of workforce development and talent development and retention. Historically, like if you take a look at the landscape nationally, let's just you know focus there for this conversation. There are organizations that are doing workforce development. There are. Mm -hmm. Um you know one would question how many of them are approaching it from um, an inclusive and equitable lens. Certainly over the past two years, that's become more of a hot topic and focus for sure. But you know, really from the get-go, thinking about building the workforce and understanding the nuances that underrepresented, underserved populations have, opportunity points. So that was one that I noticed. But then I'm a firm believer that we can focus all we want on the development and skill building and recruiting of young people, let's say Gen Z. But if we haven't thought about actually uh, retaining them once they get into organizations and what type of environment and experience they're looking for in an employer, which we've done research on, and then the manager capability, that's a whole nother part, Orlando. How do managers of today need to manage this next generation in a way that is, it's interesting, both mindful of their experience, but also uh, a place where we're coaching them for success because that mm -hmm. is things that they don't know. And I think there has to be a balance that a lot of times people people say it's either one or the other. 
either they don't know anything we need to coach them or we've got to do everything their way without giving them uh, the, the value and insight that they need to be successful. And so um, our work is bridging the gap between both. We have a team that's focused on working with education institutions, your schools, your colleges, your nonprofits on supporting young people in the skill development, the career exploration, and the mentorship that's necessary to be successful. That's you know one side of our business. And the other side of our business is working with corporations who are saying, oh goodness, we have got to A, think about a thoughtful plan, especially, especially for an industry or sector that does not have as much representation from a racial or gender lens. Goodness, we've got to come up with a plan to start engaging this generation, cybersecurity as an example, data science as an example, you know, tech in general as an example. Um, but then we also have to think about how do we build managers and leaders? This is something I'm super passionate about to be able to work with different generations who are coming into the workforce in a thoughtful and intentional way. Got it. Got it. I love that. So as we're seeing now, right, I don't know what the percentage is in terms of if you would, I don't know if they even like to be called millennials now, uh, if that, if that, oh, okay. if that name even sticks anymore, but they're, they're definitely dominating the workforce now, right. And, and holding middle management executive level positions at a younger age uh, these days. So with that, what are some some of the top strategies to retainment? Because early on, it was socially conscious. They wanted to make sure that the company's vision matched their personal goals. Is that still the thing or has that shifted a bit um, as the years progress? Yeah, that's a that's really, really good. Let's take a step back. Um, one thing you mentioned <laughs> that I'm super passionate about, Orlando, is we need to have a conversation around the generational makeup because it's interesting. Um, who who I am talking about as Gen Z early career, you mentioned and, and many have as millennials. Let's just say we all need to have a refresher in the generational breakdown from boomers to Gen Z to alpha, because there's so many people who are actually calling Gen Z millennials. And, you know, it's not the same generation. And we have to be able to understand there's a distinction between what a lot of people consider millennials. Millennials could be as old as 40 years old. And so we have to understand, you know, when we say early career, let's start there, Orlando, we're talking about um, Gen Z, Gen Z born between 96 and 97, all the way to 2010. Um, typically, that age would be from 10 years old to 25, 26. It depends on the research study you use. I sourced you, but that's the, that's the age group when we're talking about early career today. So I would start by just educating us all on that. Okay, um, and so if we're talking about this generation, there's a few things. I think I'm a big proponent when we're talking about effective strategies in workplaces, in organizations, of leveraging data as a tool. When I uh, talk about leveraging data as a tool, it's twofold. It's the data we have readily accessible, the Pew Research Report, the Deloitte Report, um, the Black Enterprise Report, the reports that we have access to that are longitudinal studies or you know, specific studies that tell us about people. But then there's this other piece of data that's really important, and it's qualitative data, Orlando. And I know you're a firm believer in this, too, by the nature of this podcast. We need to speak with the people. Correct. <laughs> Correct. We, we need to not assume we know what the next generation desire in employers, what the next generation are struggling with or need support with. We have to get proximate to them to fully understand what their experiences are. And so a lot of what we believe is important in any type of strategy is first seeking to understand through data, 
and through uh, discovery, focus groups, interviews, podcasts, YouTube, whatever we need to do to understand the nuances. And so that's where we believe it. We're talking about strategies. That's the first strategy. Education as a strategy and understanding where we are, what are some of the nuances that exist? Yeah, I'll pause there because that's a big Okay. One. Yep, yeah. it is. <laughs> so as we're talking about the data, and I love that you brought that up, and, and figuring that out through surveys and uh, all kinds of formats to gather that data, and we're talking about retainment. Retainment, to me, has multiple layers, right? Retainment of culture, retainment of you know, salary, retainment of upward mobility. Um, what are what you're seeing now through, you know, through your work? Uh, what else falls in that? And if those still co are consistent yeah. in that retainment piece for you yeah. know, for the early career pros? Oh, good point. Retention is so loaded. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's absolutely. It's retention on the standpoint of what is keeping uh, an early career professional at your organization. Correct. It is. It's a lot of what you said. Certainly, it is the salary and reward. But I'll tell you, for this generation, that's actually not the most important quality they're looking for. People think it's pay and reward. That's, that's actually not number one. Um, it's actually growth opportunities. Um, it is actually uh, cross-functional opportunities. Growth in the terms of people also think growth is only moving up and getting promoted. That's a piece of it, but it's also exposure to different types of opportunities that help them build skill sets. This is why I said one of the best things that organizations that have the capacity to implement strategy could consider would be rotational programs. Mm -hmm. Again, I did. That's how I got into industry and, and function and sector. It was this opportunity in two years to rotate through three or four different areas of the business to learn and contribute and leave with a diverse skill set that I can then apply to a full time position. They're hungry for that. Um, and so that is one example of, you know, when we're kind of talking about retention, what they're looking for. There's the other piece. You and I know, Orlando, that's around belonging. In general, do I feel I belong at this organization? From the micro um, communication and engagement, how do how am I treated? If I'm in person or if I'm virtually, am I seen? Am I valued? Am I heard? Are there affinity spaces for people who look like me? Am I the only? If I'm the only, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to stay at the organization, but it does likely mean I am seeking community somewhere. And if I don't feel that there's a place for me and I'm not feeling a sense of um, safety, then I may not want to stay long-term. If I have an organization who's knocking on my LinkedIn door, they're doing that and saying, come and work, come and work here. And it's an organization where the representation looks, um, you know, a little bit more, uh, a little broader in my identity. I might say, okay, this is a great opportunity to grow. They're paying me well. It's a city mm -hmm. I love. And, oh, there's some other people who look like me. I'm going to go there. Exactly. exactly. Where we are. And, and that's such a phenomenal point. You made two crucial points. But that one, I'll start with the with the latter, is that I don't know if and I'll be absolute transparent and say it, I don't know if our white counterparts realize that. Right. That um, just by skin tone, brown and, uh, and black people, we come into corporate America with a certain coat of protection and armor that we have to go into, right? It's even to today, I don't care where you sit at what level, even folks in Hollywood, you, you hear them talk about it. It does not matter. Oh, so yeah. it's, it's just, it's just a constant thing we have to battle. We don't wear it on our sleeves as much. We shouldn't, uh, at least in my opinion, because you still have to navigate the corporate politics and it's mm -hmm. tricky. 
it's even trickier for the other go ahead, go ahead. no i was just gonna say and i want to come in on that really quickly um i so appreciate you bringing that up and that's what um you know our team has been working really closely on on the workforce development side preparing the next generation for career a lot of our conversation historically the textbook career development has been around this is how you put a resume together this is how you interview this is you know this is where you go to get a job that is not the career development. That's not the extent to the career development that we need in 2022. We Correct. actually need to add on a lens that is helping particularly underrepresented populations understand what are the new rules of work and, and career for one. And then two, how do I deal with what is gonna happen in the workplace, which are microaggressions. If I'm encountering bias, how do I work through that? Because we think that students or young people know how to do that and then they're hit with it. And this is literally taking people to mental health crises at work because they're like, oh my gosh, this is really taking place. I wasn't prepared for this. And so we need to add that level into our development and on our enrichment programs as well so that they may not have all the answers, but they're prepared. Right, right. That, that kind of touches on emotional intelligence in the yeah. workplace, which is, is crucial, but I don't think that's developed until you actually go through because that's developing your business acumen um, and being in the line of fire of like, oh, my God, how do I truly handle this? Mm -hmm. Even it can be from of someone of your, you know, uh, of, of like like uh, skin tone and then someone opposite you like, how do I handle that in different arenas? So it's that is so crucial, Chelsea. You, I mean, that is a bullet uh, <laughs> between the eyes. But the earlier point you were making, which I liked, was when you said cross-functional, a lot of people missed the, the, uh, the piece around what, I, what I've learned in a previous career was the lateral promotion, like you said. <laughs> Becoming more diverse in different areas of the organization, you become more of a whole professional uh, in admiral value. So that's so crucial. So, so, so missed a lot. I missed a lot. And then I think there's this other piece that we have to explain for the young person who aspires CEO roles, for the young person who aspires transparently executive roles more broadly, Orlando, you and I know that becomes critical. The cross-functional experiences that you have, if you want to be a CEO, the P&L experiences, the financial understanding. And you know, I just don't think we have enough young people, especially those from underrepresented groups, your people of color, your women, your LGBTQ+, those groups may not fully understand that that's what's necessary uh -huh. in those roles. And so I just want to demystify all of it and provide the tools, resources, and insight so that at the end of the day, if a young professional doesn't choose to want to do their best in the workplace or um, you know, land that leadership role, that's on them. But if they want to, I uh -huh. want to make sure everyone has the access and opportunity to do so. And these days, not everyone does. And so that's where the work is being done. Exactly. Exactly. We need to understand business in its totality um, in order to progress. So I love that. So as you're, as you're coaching through folks, well, let me actually ask this question. When you're dealing with employers, what are those conversations like with educating them on here's how you start to retain here are one or two, three points that I would say you can implement in your organization um, of what this this next generation is looking for. What are those conversations like? Yeah. Well, first, I will say I feel very honored and blessed to have amazing partners. You know, we really we have some great partners um, at College Code. So it makes the work easier because they look at us as partners. Notice I didn't say clients, they're partners. Um, so we're learning from each other um, and, and we are certainly advising them. But I would say, you know, the big thing here um, that is really important is, again, I'm a data girl. So I'm like knowing your data, 
every leader who's here of people or HR folks who are here, we should know the generational composition of our organizations. We should certainly know the, the you know, the uh, um, ethnic and, and gender and other things that we have access to and the ability to measure. But generationally, we should know where our organization um, lands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and industry to industry and sector to sector can look very different. So just knowing that alone is really imp- excuse me, important because if you're an organization that is um, a significant baby boomer and Gen X and you only have a small percentage, 10, 15 percent Gen Z and millennial, let's just throw that out there. There might be more resistance <laughs> for some of these. I mean, to be honest with you, some of these fresh approaches, it's not to say a generalization, but it is to say like, when we start to talk about millennium, millennial wave of work and Gen Z wave of work, that's so different than boomer way of work. Um, and we have to be able to call that out because that's just the reality of where we are. Um, and so I think that becomes important. Know your organization. And then I think the second part is when we're talking about fresh strategies, a lot of times organizations have a lot of great resources already. They just aren't marketing it and, and, and really focusing on it enough for people to know that they exist. So take an audit of what currently exists, what resources, what programs, what initiatives. And once you're able to kind of think about what exists, you want to start to really dive in and say, where is there an opportunity in these programs, these practices, these policies to add that inclusive lens, to add that equity lens? And then to consider, if I'm talking about my Gen Z professional who's just graduated college, is this benefit a benefit they can use? If it's mm. not a benefit that they can use, well, what else are we offering to keep them? Um, and so that's the kind of analysis that needs to happen. Yeah, because that's a crucial point, because I think a lot of folks in that in the corporate space or at the executive level, as we're targeting new hires, it's. It's some of the data or some of the mindset is antiquated That's and it. we're approaching them with, hey, this, that, this whistle here, this, this, you know, this balloon here. And they're like, that's, that's not what I'm looking for. That's not my generation. You know, that stuff doesn't matter. Um, this is what I'm looking for. And by then we're far behind. We're so we're playing catch up like, oh, my God, we missed the ball. We have an opportunity to land some great talent, but we don't have that program. How do we develop that? So. With that, with that statement there, share you have one or two things that you've worked with a company that you helped them switch. They were, you know, they were thinking one way. We said, you said, hey, if you transition to this, offer this because this is what the data is showing. You may see a better return, you know, yeah. in, in retention. Yeah, yeah, no that that is a really really good one. Um, that's a really really good one. I think there's a few things that are coming to mind around the use of data. Um, you know, one big one that comes up for us, a lot of organizations are, we, 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 2020 happened, um, the racial unrest, just particularly towards the Black and Asian communities, and everyone was like, oh my goodness, we've got to do something. And one of the things that came up for a lot of people was forging partnerships with HBCUs. <laughs> Um, I'm a Spelman grad, so, you know, I'm, I'm happy that it happened, but I'm also like, okay, let's think about this broadly, right? And, uh, okay, to be honest. So I think um, the intention here, amazing and necessary. I think the thoughtfulness around partnership, there's hundreds of HBCUs. How did we choose the HBCU that made sense for our organization? Like, choice of which organiz- which HBCUs to partner with, I think is something important for organizations to consider long-term. 
Um, and then I think the second piece of this is, um, you know, even on the concept of early talent, we don't have to just go to HBCUs. And again, I'm a, I'm a graduate of one, but I would say if we're talking about even just reaching this next generation, this is where we have to look and see what's the profile of higher education institutions across the United States. Does this particular role require a four or two year um, degree? If it requires two year, please understand the amount of inequity community colleges have and the need from a socioeconomic status alone that mm -hmm. your colleges have. And so if we're really thinking about reaching this next generation broadly, we start to ask ourselves, well, for these roles, we can actually partner with a two-year college. If it's four-year, it's saying, okay, let's look at the breadthness of colleges and universities. What are some of the public schools that have significant populations of example, Black and Hispanic Latinx um, uh, students who don't typically get that love? I was in New York City and, you know, we have the CUNYs there. Um, and I think about some of the CUNYs that have some of them just as much representation or close representation as HBCUs. They have a lot of students of color that are overlooked. Could we consider those types of partnerships? So Orlando, I don't know. I think you're talking specifically about on the job, but I did want to take a step back because mm -hmm. before we get them in-house, we recruit them and we're trying to attract them. And I think recruiting is such a big place uh, for many organizations. They will always say, we want to go and get them while they're young and groom them up. And I think even that decision around pipeline and partnerships, we could all be more mindful and conscious about how we choose our partners. And so a lot of our work has been really guiding partners towards making intentional decisions on their partnership, because that partnership is more than I'm going to put Norfolk State or I'm going to put Southern University on my website or Fisk on my website. It's I'm going to get to know Fisk University. I'm going to go down to Nashville. I'm going to understand the students. I'm going to if we are a technology company and we're talking about coding, we're going to get our technologists on campus when it's safe working with the students. <laughs> right? I had to put that in there. Right. We can't do that. You will eventually, hopefully. And so being on campus, working with the students, getting to know the professors, understanding some of the nuances, that's the kind of partnerships we need to be launching, not transactional partnerships. And that requires a thoughtful approach. And so a lot of our advisory is like, that's an example of the depth that we need to go into. And you said something uh, really key. And again, I want to make sure that's pronounced because the initial partnerships out of the social unrest was a transactional Right. Peace there. They're like, oh, my God, the backlash. What do we do? And that raises our antennas as to say, is this going to go any further? Is yeah. this just media? Is this for good PR? What is this? What's the long term effect? It's almost just like when um, earlier when all the DI, uh, DEI positions flooded the market oh, yeah. uh, during that time. So it, it's almost like, yeah, but what's the long term effect? Are you going to actually hire all these people and actually make this an effective program in your organization it's what's the long-term effect exactly and i think and here's the thing orlando this is why i'm very big on this partnership piece because if done well and employees of organizations leaders of organizations are truly getting to know the students of particular universities as an example or organizations of, an, of um, as an example if they're truly building that partnership and that reverse kind of uh, mentor, if you will, relationship with the students, they're recruiting, but they're also gaining insight and best practices that they later can go and incorporate into 
uh, the talent strategy once the student's actually at the organization. Because they're saying, we've been on campus at Fisk for several years now. We're in the classroom. We're going to these leadership opportunities. We're getting to know the students. We had had our program focused on X. The insight that we received actually is making us think, you know what, we should actually reconsider how we've been setting up this program before because students might not have been able to take this course, for, for instance. If it's a particular course that um, you assume that all students of universities have taken before they get on the job, you go and partner with a particular college and realize, oh goodness, they didn't have this level or this degree of access to a particular course. I'm talking about technology courses, banking courses right now. Well then in your training program that you launch, at the beginning of the summer for all of your um, uh, your interns, you would incorporate this course or this uh, module into your training so that there's a level playing field for everyone to be able to gain the resources and exposure that they need to be successful. But if you're not on campus and you're not asking those questions and understanding the curriculum and the professors, you'll miss that. Oh, Orlando, it happened again. So Can't hear you. What about now? Awesome, awesome. Sorry okay. right, about that. It's okay. It's all good. So uh, the earlier point you made about the partnerships with HBCU, and I wanted to get your your opinion on this. Do you think there was a fear from corporate America in creating those partnerships, or just a lack of awareness of the the talent that's in that's you know within the HBCU uh, schools? No. Again, I think I think that. Um, you know, I, I, I want to respect the fact that I think that there was some thought for it. I don't want to say that people weren't thoughtful, but I think if we're having a, a crisis that's um, uh, impacting the Black community and we're talking about what can, you know, if a company or an organization or leaders like, what can we do to be a part of the solution? And there's a passion to work with the next generation or support the next generation. Um, I can understand how they'd say, oh my goodness, colleges. And I can understand if you're sitting and you're thinking about all the colleges and you're like, Black students, next generation, uh -huh. our workforce, oh, HBCUs. And if you know that HBCUs do not always have the access that other schools have from a resource standpoint, I think it's it's important. And I want to just note that that is so important. And as a graduate, we need that. But I do think one thing, and I say this often, is there are more than just four HBCUs. I went to one, so I want to put a lot of the dollars, Spellman. Spellman, don't be mad at me. I'm just being honest. <laughs> um, but I'm just saying, again, if we're talking about really building up a community and, and really reaching the people who don't always get access, there's a lot of other HBCUs that are not always getting as much support. So we can be that uh, employer who goes against the grain and tries something different, if it makes sense for our business, right? right. And I think, again... Um, there are other institutions, and I'm saying this because we did research here. There are other institutions that have a significant population of, as one example, Black students or Hispanic-serving institutions. We worked with a national nonprofit, well, not mentioned, but they are supporting the next generation of technologists, and we did a, um, a landscape analysis for them on the uh, college and university market across the country and the graduation rates of women um, in computer science at different 
uh, institutions. We, we looked at HBCUs, we looked at Hispanic serving institutions, we looked at tribal colleges, and then we looked at just universities that have a significant population of uh, students of color. The data is just, the data, data is, that's why I say when you have the data, it really helps to be intentional. It really helps you be more intentional with strategy, Orlando. And so um, my point is we learned a lot of things through that data process of saying, wow, there really are actually other groups that we could be a part of providing more equity to them if we only had had this data earlier. Thank I you. like that. I like that. So to that, and I'll, I'll follow up question. You can correct me if I'm wrong. So with that, so it could, it could, you can safely assume, you know, I hate to assume, especially in business, uh, is that through the lack of data from the corporations, their default was more the well-known HBCUs, because you said there are some that are not so well-known that still have tremendous talent in there. So are you saying that's probably kind of just by default? We know the, you know, we know the FAMUs, the, the Spellmans, the, um, you know, all these other other uh, colleges, but the more well-known ones that are getting major endorsements and light through media, but we don't we don't know the smaller ones that still have tremendous talent in them, mm-hmm. and that's just due to lack of data. Um, I think da- I think if people had the data and leveraged the data, they'd mm-hmm. see the opportunities. But I think that, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think the the call to those schools is it's twofold. They're great schools. Like I'm not going to sit here and say they're great schools. A, I think B, there's probably a um, uh, uh, representation of graduates who are at the companies too, um, uh-huh. in leadership roles or who are employees who are saying we got to go to we got to go to Hampton, we got to go to Howard. You know, like that plays a role as well. And then I think you just have. Listen, companies are comp- they're competitors. If they hear yeah. if, if, if a finance her, uh, finance firm hears that um, you know another finance firm is forming a partner million dollar partnership with name that HBC, they're like, oh, we have to figure out something to do. Yep. That happens, <laughs> which is great, right? <laughs> That's a yeah. phenomenal thing. It drives the yeah. dollars to them. Yeah, exactly. And so my point my point in this is not that we need to. Um, my point in this is that I believe, especially when we're talking about early talent, I would like for organizations to take a step back. And when they're thinking about their partnerships from the undergraduate um, uh, landscape, that as much as they can, if you are in cybersecurity, if you are in environmental science, go and pull the data on the current graduation rates of people who are studying cybersecurity, people who are studying environmental science, and understand the demographic disparities that exist first. Then understand amongst the breadth of colleges and universities in this in this nation, where's the opportunity places for your organization? And then leveraging the data that way, and then forging true partnerships with these institutions and these students where you are learning from them and they are learning from your people and your leaders. And you stay with them for a long period of time. You don't say, we're going to go try to recruit for one year if we can't recruit two or three students, well, this isn't a good partnership. No, no, no. This is like dating. You may not have a mm-hmm. you may not kick it off well on the first the first shot, <laughs> but maybe you're like, oh, I like this quality or this quality, and you keep at it. Like, same thing with working out, right? And so I think a lot of times, unfortunately, this is the bias. We go to a school, we partner with the club, we say, these students don't have it together. I don't think this is what we thought it would be, and, and we want to so quickly divorce them and go to someone else um, because maybe they have the experience or they have the connections or they're more 
uh, prepared or whatever you want to call it, more professional, whatever, instead of really doing the work to understand the background, oh. the experiences and truly be um, advocates for, for equity, which means that we are providing the access and opportunities that other people or groups may not have had. And that's actually how we are preparing the workforce of the future. Because if we go and look at the current, Brookings Institute has done quite a bit of research on the changing demographics across the country. Well, it's not a surprise. Demographics are changing. <laughs> and, and communities of color are starting to be more represented. And so we're actually doing a disservice if we're not doing the work to help and help engage and develop that generation starting from the younger years. Got it. Got it. Let me ask you um, this. How detailed do you get with organizations, meaning from the discuss different programs? So say if it was, you know, this is Orlando LLC and I'm pitching an HBCU for a partnership. Yes, I have the benefits, the, the upward mobility, things like that. But there, are there specific programs that you're saying, hey, again, if you add this, this is the population they're looking for this. Not so much uh, on the benefit side. They're looking for X. They're looking for Y. Oh, right. Yeah. Great question. So uh, let me ask you, you're asking me, what is this next generation looking for as we're talking in employers? Is some of the things I love the question. Cool. Correct. Done a, quite a bit of research. What are Gen Z interested in? Um, and it's interesting if you look at the, so um, Ripple Match is a fantastic organization um, that has done a study on um, what Gen Z want in employers. They did a study like a longitudinal, a longitudinal study that was Gen Z wide across racial ethnic groups. And then they did one that was focused, focused on underrepresented minorities that was really drilling in there, which was profound. And, and maybe Tia, we can share that in the chat. I'll figure out a way to get it to folks. But um, if you look at it, you, you have to keep pieces that often come up for Gen Z. Um, uh, job stability, uh, growth and advancement, social impact, compensation, uh, company prestige. Like, what's the, is this like a cool company I want to work for? Those, were, those are some of the main ones that come up. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, when you hone in uh, training and development, that's another one. When you hone in on underrepresented minorities, there was a slightly higher desire around job stability, compensation, and social impact. Mm. Got it. Wow. But again, if you, it makes sense. It does. I, it, you know, it makes sense. If I, um, you know, the job stability makes sense, especially um, we don't, don't want to make generalizations, but if you've noticed um, instability of um, employment or opportunities for family members or for friends or even yourself, if it's been hard to get a job, you want to be at a place where you're going to be able to count on, right? Compensation, you want to make sure that you're being paid. Uh, if we go back and look at the current student loan crises, uh, Black students and Hispanic students are most negatively impacted. Right. Again, it makes total sense. If we talk about social impact, you know, again, that was important across the board, but there was a higher percentage for underrepresented minorities. And, you know, again, I think that comes down to a lot of this next generation. Orlando, we've talked about it. When they're interviewing, they're asking the hiring manager questions <laughs> about diversity. And it's like, woe to you, hiring manager, if you're not prepared. <laughs> right, right. That's a whole other conversation. That's a, that's a, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> that's a webinar. <laughs> Yeah, so, so that's a few. That's a that's a few. I hope that's helpful. It is. It is, and I have a, a follow up to that as well. Is there data around that same study that you you looked at from you said Ripple Match that talks about is it 
anything industry specific heavy? Is it tech, fintech, healthcare? Uh, in terms of the purpose, no, it was a broad, it was a broad study. Although okay. you can imagine, I, I don't want to, I'm going to be careful. That was their study, but Chelsea would add on, um, you know, when you talk, it's interesting when you talk with this next generation today, and this is another thing that I think organizations would, I hope that this is um, empowering for them. There was a time when there were the hot industries. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I remember when I was at Spelman, it was it was cool to say you were going to, to work on Wall Street. I'm not saying it's not Wall Street people. I'm not saying it's not anymore. I'm just saying. <laughs> Disclaimer: No backlash for Chelsea. No backlash. Chelsea Chelsea loved her her Wall Street years, but um, truly, it, you know, it's it's not necessarily that that's the only sector that people want to work on if you go to mm-hmm. college these days. Tech, CPG, startup, um, you know, creative spaces, social enterprise. It really is a mixed bag. I think that there's a lot of organizations. There's some very niche industries. Again, I was speaking yesterday with this um, fantastic leader um, in cybersecurity in Florida. Um, she's a, a leader of an organization. She was telling me about that space and how it's truly like one of those um, growing fields and so critical for, for, for this country. And I was thinking to myself, wouldn't it be cool if she could, if her and her organization could start to do the exploration to cybersecurity with high school students and then getting in front of the freshmen? Because it isn't something that comes up from students, but I think it's simply because they don't understand necessarily what the role entails. If they understood what the role entails and the importance and critical nature of the role, I think you'd have a lot more students like, I'm going to do that. And so I think that um, a lot of times some of these niche industries are like, I don't think anybody's ever going to want to do that, do this. And they're very lucrative, stable, great um, opportunities. And they kind of get in their heads and say, well, everyone wants to do tech. How could we ever compete with the Google? How could we ever compete with the Facebook? How could we ever compete with the Microsoft? And I think that the opportunity is you can start to do the true exploration and skill development and mentoring early and start changing the outlook and vision for some of these young people. Um, And I think that's the work that has to be done because last point, the whole interest and drive for technology, we were doing some research the other day around Gen Z and technology. And everybody says, these tech obsessed Gen Zers, they grew up with that as their form of learning and and engagement. Like, why are we beating them up? Like that is what (laughs) they grew up with. And so of course, of course, it's going to sound cool to go and work at a Google or a Facebook or an Instagram or a TikTok or Snapchat. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And while we're at it, it's like they're helping us, right? They're, the, yeah. the folks that are a little bit older in generation, uh, they're helping you, even from the basis of your iPhone. Yeah. Uh, I, I have daughters that I'm like, I don't know how to work this thing all That's what I'm- They're like, here you go, Dad. And I'm like, it's ridiculous because they just grew up in that space. So, um, Here's a question more for uh, more close to home when it comes to uh, your partners, not clients, but your partners at College Code. Is that what is that? Uh, what does that look like in terms of industry? Is it heavy mm-hmm. one way or is it a good eclectic mix mm-hmm. of partners that you work with? Oh, goodness. It's such a good question that comes up. It really is an eclectic mix, which we love, which we okay. love. We did. We had a um, strategy session with the team. Um, 
and our finance director last week where we were looking at 2020, we were looking at 2021 um, and, you know, the breadth of our reach. And last year, about 50% of our work was in the consulting space as advisors and partners, really helping come up with strategies or um, reevaluate strategies for uh, organizations. Mm. 30% was workforce development. We have a product that we are um, that are currently in schools and in uh, and nonprofits are leveraging that's called Jumpstart to Career that is providing culturally competent and conscious career development for the next generation. Um, that is growing. We're actually going to be turning that into a tech-enabled platform uh, this year. And then finally, about 20% of our work is corporate training. Orlando, I mentioned to you, we can have the strategy, but if we don't have the leaders and the managers equipped to take the strategy on a day-to-day -day basis and create that space of belonging and engagement for anyone on their team, none of the strategy works. And so the enablement and the development and the coaching of leaders is another very important piece of the pie that we're not discussing. And so I just wanted to kind of tell you for us, we are less industry and more kind of func functionality of what we offer. Um, yeah, so we've got we've got CPG companies that we work with. We do quite a bit of work with agencies, PR agencies. Mm. Um, we work, yeah, which has been a huge, wow. huge, huge space for us, and a lot of interesting, great work being done there. Um, fashion, we've worked with fashion companies. We've worked with finance firms. It's been in the mix. Wow, PR PR firms. That's that's interesting. Yes. Yes. you're representing the the company that represents. <laughs> so, so that's that's good. I like that. So yeah. final question. I want to be uh, mindful of your time. You said it a few times here and I wanted you to unpack it uh, a little bit more. Cultural competency. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I love that. I love that term. Um, first of all, it's one of the 2022 buzzwords, I think, for anybody who is managing, leading people, anyone in HR, um, everything that we do, we want to be mindful of doing it through a cultural competent lens. What does that mean? <laughs> That means that I have an understanding. I may not be an expert, but I am. I have an intent to understand, get proximate, and to an extent center the experiences of people from various cultures. Mm -hmm. um, there, there, certainly, here in the United States, we talk about uh, we talk about race. It could be ethnicity as well. It could be international um, uh, colleagues as well. But the point here is, we are taking into account into account different cultures as we communicate with our colleagues, as we provide feedback to our colleagues, as we think about general engagement with our colleagues. Um, and so if we are not engaging, if we're a leader and we're not engaging through a cultural competent lens, we're missing the opportunity to build trust. We're missing the opportunity um, to be empathetic leaders. And so some people might be saying, Chelsea, how do I become culturally competent? <laughs> That's a good question. And I would say um, there's a lot of opportunities here. One is educate, 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 educate. Um, right now, there's not a shortage of podcasts, books, YouTube series, Netflix specials that you can dive into to be able to ex, uh, expand your awareness. LinkedIn Learnings is a really great place to start as well. There's some great content out there, actually. Two, get proximate. Start to have those conversations with your colleagues who are different from you. Lean in. Don't, don't run away from the opportunity to have the conversation because you are not building the capacity and the muscle there. Lean into it. 
um, because that's actually going to help you be the emotionally intelligent leader, Orlando, that you mentioned. Um, those are a few things. And then the third is don't be afraid to remix it. Um, our friend Lindsay Pollock talks yep. about remixing. <laughs> I had to shout her out because she's my favorite. But Lindsay talks about remixing, doing something mm -hmm. a little bit different, taking the good of what's working and taking new best practices and insights and seeing how that works. It is the time for us to reimagine, remix, and reconsider. So let's do it. And if it doesn't work, we can try it again. But those are some ways that we build cultural competence. Love it. Love it. It, it sounds like a, uh, a unique arm of the, uh, the diversity umbrella, uh, but it drills down even more. And that's something that needs to be taught early on, too. That's like you, you talked about earlier yeah. uh, in dealing with the politics uh, of corporate America. So that's huge. There will be a part two, folks. I'm just throwing it out there and holding <laughs> Chelsea to it. <laughs> There's so much we can unpack, but I absolutely want to be mindful of your time. So please share with folks where they can find you, anything, any events that you have coming up. How can they get more of your data and your core uh, competence skills. Yes, yes. Well, folks, first of all, I am absolutely delighted. Orlando, thank you for the gift of being able to uh, engage and partner with you. Um, connect on LinkedIn. Uh, Tia has shared our college code link. Tia, if you can also share my personal LinkedIn, if we haven't already, please connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, we are going to be launching um, this year. Like I mentioned, we are starting our, our prospect uh, calls and nailing down partners for 2022. Uh, so if you're interested, reach out. We'd love to explore working together. Um, we are going to be um, rebranding. So this is an interesting thing to share. Mm. Uh, co College Code will not be our name in, in a, in a oh, few no. I know It'll still be connected, but we're, we're, we are expanding the breadth of our work. We've been mm -hmm. doing that over the last two years and our name um, in some ways has kind of pitched us. And we want to be able to um, have people uh, find us who really are committed to workforce and talent development. So be on the lookout. Um, uh, what you can do to stay in touch with us is I put together an early talent toolkit to support anyone who's tuned in today. So if you are interested, you can text college code speaks, college code speaks, one word, S plural speaks. And you can, um, you can uh, text 33777, um, and that's a great way for you to get on our email list, and we'll follow up with a resource that'll help you really think about engaging um, uh, Gen Z in a really thoughtful way. So again, text um, College Code Speaks to 33777 to get on our new serve. Folks, thank you so much. Love it. I have college daughters now. They will be getting this <laughs> immediately. Absolutely love it. Um, I, I'm going to take a stab at a name. Uh, and let me not. Let me not. Because <laughs> we'll just wait for the rollout. We'll just wait for the rollout. <laughs> just wait. Just be, just be patient. It's coming. <laughs> you will be. You are on our MVP list, Orlando. Oh, just to know. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Chelsea, thank you so much to you and your amazing team as putting this together. Uh, for your wealth of knowledge, being on the front lines, your commitment, uh, your expertise. Absolutely enjoyed this conversation. And as I mentioned, there will be a part two. So team, Tia and team, please get ready. We'll be connecting later this year again. Yeah. Uh, Orlando, can I yeah. just connect Tia? Tia, it is College Code Speaks One Word. And it's texting 32777. I just Thir want to make sure folks get the right. 32 or 33? 33. 33. 33. 33. 
college code speaks one word. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I'm going to close this out with a quick uh, video and chat after in the back scene. But thank you so much again, Chelsea. Thank uh, you. And we will have you back. Stay tuned. Hold thank on. you, Tia. Thank you as well. Okay. <laughs>